The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Today, we have LCC's Director of Student Life, Michelle Owen, and School Counselor, Jillian Chadley, for a conversation that focuses on social-emotional learning and positive education models. While they may be created for school settings, they have strategies to help anyone with stress management and working on having a positive mindset in anything we face. Welcome, Michelle Owen and Jillian Chadley, here with us today on the We Are LCC podcast. Can you tell us what positive education is? Is there a way that you can define it so that we can get an understanding before we kind of delve into the conversation? Sure. So I'm Michelle. So just to introduce myself, I'm Director of Student Life here at LCC. And for us, the the goal of positive education, so much of psychology has looked at when people are struggling or overcoming obstacles, sort of how how you get the person back to feeling a sense of calm Whereas positive education is looking, looking at the elements of positive psychology and how do you on a daily basis continue to be able to flourish and thrive within your daily life. And so it looks at positive mental health and positive education takes those positive psychology concepts and puts them into a school community and school context. It's based on the research and work of positive psychologist Martin Seligman, who is a director of positive psychology at University of Pennsylvania. And his elements have been incorporated into education models, mostly really came out of Australia, and they've been a leading area in this field to enhance well-being and happiness within schools. So positive education, and this is something that Jill and I on an ongoing basis state, is that positive education is not about being happy and positive all the time but rather it's about developing strategies and a mindset where students can overcome challenges, work through challenges, set goals, develop a growth mindset. And all those elements have been proven to be critical for long-term well-being. Positive education looks at ways to keep people, like I said before, above neutral, rather than only working with people when they're really down or in a depressed state. And positive education includes elements of the PERMA-V model, so which includes positive emotions. So how do you find those positive emotions such as joy, gratitude, interest, and hope on a daily basis? Engagement is about being fully absorbed in the activities that you are part of. Having positive relationships, so studies have shown that having those positive relationships in one's life are critical to well-being and happiness. Finding meaning, so belonging, sense of belonging and community and serving something you believe is much bigger than yourself and a sense of accomplishment. And those accomplishments and what we call at LCC achievements can be small achievements. They don't need to be, you know, a full year accomplishment or full uh, achievement. And then V has been put on to PERMA V and that here we really emphasize in terms of vitality. So health healthy eating, sleeping patterns that are healthy, as well as exercise on a daily basis. So that's a long definition, but that gives you an overview of positive education. And so, I mean, clearly this is something that can also be applied to the real world, just in the way that you described it. So are students more anxious and stressed these days? 
why have these models come about to implement them in the school setting? And obviously, we're, we're trying to do this so that we can help manage the stress and anxiety. But has there been a shift in that now versus, you know, years ago? I think statistically, yes. I think the stress level of teenagers, perhaps now it's actually being monitored or observed or recorded, and it might not have been 30, 40 years ago. I think the educational landscape has changed in the sense that, you know, there's way more competition for postgraduate placements, whether it's CJEP or university. I think most students who attend schools like ours, you know, strive for some kind of education beyond LCC. So they're they're stressed and, and social stress and social media. So yes, are kids overly anxious? I don't think so. Some are for sure. But I also just think this model is a, it's like a life skill model. It's a, it's a way to look at your world and your emotions and figure out how to manage those things. And, you know, to see, you know, the old life is the, the glass is not half empty, it's half full. So starting in school just gives kids the skill set that they need to just be adults who thrive and flourish rather than just starting with adults. So it, it makes sense as a model in school. And yes, I do. I mean, I'd be naive to say I don't think life is more stressful, but I don't think everyone is always stressed all the time. I'm, I'm wary of saying that everyone's more stressed. So, so yeah, obviously, it makes sense to implement this stuff at younger ages so that by the time kids are graduating, they're going into the, you know, quote unquote, real world with some life skills, hopefully. I know that at LCC, in the younger grades, in junior school, the model is based on social emotional learning. And in the older grades, it's the positive education. Can you talk to any of the differences between those two and, and what they might be specific for in terms of, I guess, different ages? Yeah, so to start, I would say that they're, they're very similar. So I wouldn't say that there are two different approaches. Social emotional learning has been for a long time an integral part of education and human development. And really is the process through which all young people learn to regulate their emotions, to set some goals, to develop empathy for others, and to be able to establish and maintain those supportive relationships at different developmental levels and be able to develop responsible and caring decisions. So within the education setting of elementary schools, starting in daycare and kindergarten, those are the character skills that so much of, I mean, there's lots of content, obviously, in elementary school, but a lot of that is that social emotional learning. So how are you going to face not knowing how to do something in class, but really about the the relationships between peers and being able to manage those emotions when you first come to school Without your primary caregiver, you come to school and you have to manage those emotions. So the social emotional learning piece is really about all of that within the younger phases. And I would say that in terms of positive education, it's applying similar strategies within a framework of looking at engagement and meaning and relationships and really looking at coping strategies, I would say, rather than the development of character traits. So social emotional learning is the development of those character traits and then positive education, which can be applied at the elementary level as well. But it's more about strategies that we can use when faced with obstacles or a more challenging situation or developing healthy habits long term. I also think, too, it's positive education tries to get people to develop empathy for themselves, which I think we often don't 
think about, right? And and to be, we often, you know, with younger children, it's always about being kind to other people and understanding how other people feel. And I think part of this is more of a an inward scope of how do I feel about myself? What am I actually good at? Well, how can I set realistic goals for me? And then it's more personal development, I think. Yeah. And I would say the positive, positive education is an umbrella within social emotional learning. You know, going back to what you were just saying, Jillian, about kids, we're always, we're always teaching them to be kind to others. And yeah, of course, it's so important for us to teach our kids to be kind to themselves and also understand their own emotions. Could that lead us into the idea of thought holes when kids get stuck on certain emotions and how, how they can work through those thought holes, if you want to explain that to our listeners? Yeah, I love thought holes. They're, they're my favorite. Michelle's smiling. So thought holes, it's, it's basically the idea of allowing your brain to get the best of you. And it's interestingly always in a negative way, right? And all these thought holes are, they're named for children and adolescents to use. So if they sound a bit silly, that's why they're a bit silly. For example, there's what they call leapfrogging, which is when you jump to conclusions. So for example, you know, your boss wants to calls you into their office because they want to speak to you and you automatically are trying to figure out what you did wrong, right? It can't possibly be that you're, you know, you're being praised for something or it's a, a positive conversation. You automatically think that it, it's going to be a negative experience. And just as a side note, by the way, positive education explores the idea that, that human nature is generally wired to think negatively. So all these things are, are negative reactions. Another example would be gigantifying, which is a wonderful thing young children or adolescents tend to do. For example, it's when you magnify something negative that happened, right? So, oh, I did really poorly on my English essay, so I'm never going to get into university and I can't possibly, you know, ever get a degree. My life is over. <laughs> exactly. My life is over. Exactly. So there's several of them. There's keyholing, which is when you only focus on one small thing. So, oh, how was your day? And, oh, my day was awful because, you know, Johnny told me my shoes were ugly. Oh, really? Did anything else happen? Well, yeah, I had a great time at recess and, you know, I played with so-and-so and whatever. But the only thing I'm remembering is the, is the negative part. Shrinkerizing, very good word, is when you actually minimize negative things or downplay bad things that happen. Blanketing is when you completely overgeneralize. And again, negative things. The teacher only calls me when I'm doing badly or only when I don't know the answer. Like it's, it's always a negative thing. Mood seasoning is based on when you're, you're in a bad mood. So everything is bad. And the last one would be pushing, which would basically be putting the blame on other people and, you know, not taking responsibility. So it's interesting. And I've, I've used these with my children. I've had Michelle use these on me, but it, it's, it's actually fun. You know, you, you, when you recognize that someone's actually doing it and you really try and help them to stop and realize that it, this is, this is your brain really tricking you into thinking things are far worse than they are. And so does that kind of lead us into the idea of teaching, I guess, not, not just kids, but people, the power of being able to control our response to what's happening, because we can't obviously always control what is happening. Yeah, so it's so hard, because we I think we often always just think, well, if we're thinking in a negative way, or about things that are going poorly, everything's out of control, right? Everyone else is someone else's fault, or oftentimes, that's how we lead to, oh, well, this happened because of this, because of this, right? But studies have shown, so I'll just back a little bit, that studies have shown that one's life satisfaction, that 
when you look at someone's life satisfaction, it can be divided into three parts in terms of percentages. And 50% of that, and this is from studies that have been shown, 50% of our life satisfaction really is genetic or biological, 40% is life choices, and 10% is environment. But within that 50% of biological genetics, a lot of that can be worked on, right? So if you are someone who is a little bit more you know, looking at the negative or looking at things half empty sort of thing, right? Half full. You can work with that and try and So part of that 50% can be switched. We talk to our students about, you can't control your height necessarily, right? You can put heels on or you can put higher shoes on, but within that genetics, that 50%, you're going to be the height that you're going to be, right? So within there, there's certain things you can control. So really we try and work with the students to say like, you can't control your height. So how are you going to be able to work with your height in a positive way. What can you do with if you're shorter than other people or taller than other people? You can't change that, but you can change how you use that trait that you have. So within that part that you can control, definitely those 40% of life choices you can control. And then part of the biological genetics you can in terms of changing your mindset. It's really only that 10%, which is the environment that you can control. So we do work, but yet it it encompasses so many of what our students we see at school or even in daily life, that 10% consumes how people oftentimes feel about themselves or feel about a situation. So looking at situations and being like, well, you're working, for example, in school, right? You cannot really control what's put on a test. The teacher is going to put on the test what they want to put on the test. So before a test, What is in your control? Your control is to be able to look at the materials that you've learned. You look, think back to the strategies the teacher has spoken to you and you work on strategies to learn that content to then apply it on the test. Because to start stressing about, oh my goodness, the test is going to be, you don't have any control on what that teacher puts onto that test, right? So that's just an example within the context of the school of how can we, how are we always working with the students to think about what is within your control and what is not in your control and how can you work with what is in your control to work through whatever is bothering you or or making things more difficult. And often we hear these very famous words from our our kids or even our peers, I can't, but I can't. (laughs) So what, what do we do then? So one of our very, and I use it all the time at home, and I would say I use it oftentimes in school as well, is the power of yet. And so the power of yet is, you know, many people stop themselves and say, I can't, I can't skate, or I can't run, or I can't read. And by just adding at the end of that sentence, I can't read yet, there's a change in what and so then you can work on the plan that you are going to read, you may not be able to read now, but you can't read yet, you will be able to read and how are we going to get to that next phase. So. The power of yet is a very good statement that can move people in the right direction. I remember from back in a presentation that you guys did, there was a plan with the I can't mentality. I think the acronym was WHOOP. So WHOOP is another strategy. We have a couple of things that we use on a regular basis. Another one I'll have Jill talk about with percentages. But the WHOOP method, and there's a great website. And if you just Google WHOOP website, it will take you through this entire thing that I'm going to speak about now. And it's step by step. And there's also a couple of videos. And it's been written about a lot by Gabrielle Ottigen. And it's a method that can be used in the workplace at home, everyday life of making plans 
for things that are be, that are difficult to overcome in terms, and they can be from studying better to getting a better result on a test. So WHOOP stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, and Plan. And so it's breaking down what is your wish? What do you hope to achieve? What is it that you want? And that needs to be a realistic and achievable, achievable enough. So I wish to get, and you can be as specific as I wish to get over 90% in math, let's say, because that's oftentimes what we get for students. The outcome of that would be that I would see results over 90, but at the same time feel that I have learned the content and that would be the outcome of it. And I would feel good about my achievements. But the obstacle that I am is that every time I sit down to do math, the obstacle is, is that I just shut down and I don't, I stop myself from working a little bit harder. So that's the obstacle is I procrastinate. So then the plan would be when I find myself procrastinating, I am going to set a timer of 20 minutes and I'm going to put away all other distractions and I'm going to do five math problems, let's say. So the plan has to be very specific. And the planning statement needs to be, we have the students do, if I procrastinate for doing math, I will set a timer for 20 minutes, do five math problems, and then stand up and take a break. And so that statement at the end is a very firm, specific statement of what to do if that obstacle comes into place. And then you mentioned that, Jill, you had some other strategies relating to the same sort of challenges. It's more about more of a leapfrogging. And it, I mean, I use the example, which happens often is, you know, someone thinks they failed the test. Okay, so it's like this great panic, I failed the test, I did terribly. And I say, okay, so, so what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to do badly in the class. And I'll be like, okay, so what out of 100, like what chances are that you might do badly in the class? And then they'll rate it at like whatever. Oh, it's like 80%. I'm like, okay, so then, so you do badly in the class. And then what happens? Well, I might actually fail the class. And I'm like, okay, so what chances of you really failing the class because of this one test? What, what percentage is that? And then they give you a percentage of that, which is usually much lower than their original percentage, right? And then you say, okay, so what happens if you fail the class? Well, then I, I, I won't get into CJEP. Like, really, you won't get into CJEP if you if you fail this class. Yeah. I'm like, okay. so what's the percentage of that happening? And then they put that down, which, again, is obviously considerably lower. Right. And then I'll finally say, okay. so then what if you don't? Well, then I won't be a doctor. I'm like, okay. so because you did badly, let's just go back. You did badly on this one chemistry test, you know, and they and then when they look at inevitably, they might be irritated that it's somewhat humorous, but they recognize that the overall outcome is not going to be nearly as bad. And I mean, you could do this with anything. I wear something to a party and someone takes a picture of me, right? And so, okay, so then what's going to happen? Well, someone's going to post it. Okay, so then, you know, and it, those, so what's the worst thing? You know, like, I'll never leave my house again. And and when you sort of break it down, and it's funny, but it's not funny. It's not, it has to be put into perspective, right? It's, it's about managing it and, and perspective for sure. Exactly. And, and, you know, one of your questions was earlier, like, how does this apply outside of school? Like, these are real life applications, like adults need the same skill set, what, what we worry about, or what we're anxious about are different things, you know, my child not making a team, okay, well, then what's going to happen? Or not getting invited to a party. So the strategies, again, and I said this before, it's really about you being able to recognize you know, naming, noticing your emotions, and then, you know, dealing with the fact that you've had this emotion and dealing with how you're feeling about it. But it's so true. I mean, regardless of the age, clearly, it's all about perspective and managing it. 
not to say, oh, it's not there and it's, you know, make it go away or don't worry about it because you don't want to dismiss the emotion, but to name the emotion and then at least say, okay, well, I have it, but how can I manage this in a better way? Exactly. Yeah. And as Jill said, you know, like the worst case scenario, which is what she just was talking about, right? What's the worst case scenario in this situation? Now let's look at the best case scenario. And and the more that the students and all of us, I mean, we're talking a lot about students, but as you said, it can be applied elsewhere is the more that you use these strategies, the more that, for example, before this podcast, like both Jill and I are like, oh, and I'll just admit it on air now, right? And then, but then, you know, you go through that mentality of like, what is the worst case scenario? What's the percentage? And so your brain will actually be trained to use those strategies on a regular basis to calm it versus stop yourself. Because what we're trying to do is avoid students just not doing anything, right? Like refusing to do stuff because they're so worried about the what's going to happen or any of us, right? Avoiding a challenge because we don't have the ability to work through that challenge. So all of these are strategies to do that. And positive education does that well. Well, so here you are putting it into practice by actually accepting and doing the podcast. Exactly, <laughs> right. And how do you feel now? Your stress level from one to 10. <laughs> I'm good because this, I mean, again, I know both Jill and oh, I can't speak for Jill, I guess, but it is something that I very much apply, not only here at school, but in my own family. And it's been instrumental in the change in conversations in our family and how both my kids, my husband and I approach things. And it can just really shift conversations of frustration. And so talking now, I'm okay, because I'm just talking off. And it's something though, that I have also seen very much work. And so you believe in it. Yeah. And one piece that we haven't spoken about the whole idea of mindfulness, and how important that is in positive education. And it's something that I would say is still really resistant. People are still really resistant to it. Some people have taken to mindfulness, to yoga, to breathing, to calming our minds, you know, to some of those mindfulness apps. But I would say that with teenagers, for the most part, it's still something Jill and I are really working on. How can we get that strategy or that method to be able to be more you know, get people engaged and motivated and using that within their daily or weekly practices, because it's really is quite key to calming, calming our bodies and calming our minds. So. And I also think just going back to, to other things that are key, I think, you know, Michelle outlined in the beginning, sort of the, the PERMA V, what those letters stand for. I think, I think as parents, as you're, you're looking at your kids and you're trying to unpack how they feel about themselves and what's going on, those things are actually very important. It's very hard for kids to enjoy being in school if they don't have a sense of accomplishment or have no sense of meaning of why they're here. We talk a lot at LCC about relationships. Relationships are key. They're, they're key for adults too. So, you know, if you want to go back to the pandemic, I think a lot of people found the pandemic really difficult because relationships were strained and those, you know, those personal connections, if you were by yourself, you know, it was very, it was difficult to have the connections that you used to have. So those, we, you know, we talked to the, the students about that. We talked to, you know, our colleagues about that too. And those letters, those, what those letters represent are, are actually quite important. And I mean, that kind of like leads to the point about well-being. I know there's different models, but when they're all taken together, are there any sort of general observations about the nature of well-being that you could speak to? I really think it's, it's very important for we work a lot and we talk a lot about, you know, stress and anxiety, and it's really trying to get kids to recognize what helps them. Because I say without trying to be doom and gloomy that, you know, it, 
stress, first of all, it isn't always bad. People are always going to have stress. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to have stress as an adult. You're going to have stress in relationships. And so, so what strategies do you have that work for you to help you manage that? You know, it's like when you have a baby and you want your baby to self-soothe. And so what, what's good for you? And hopefully it's, it's more than one thing, right? You know, you don't want to just be able to exercise to relieve stress because I don't know if you hurt your foot, you can't exercise type thing. So to me, I think, I think that's very important. And I think also the recognition that, you know, life isn't always amazing and people have a range of emotion and we're supposed to have emotion and we just need to sort of manage those emotions and surround ourselves with people who you're comfortable around to be able to go through those different emotions. But you you need to be able to recognize them. I think a lot of things come from people just not knowing how they feel about something. And then I also just think the more people can actually focus on positive things in their lives, the happier we would all be. And, and that's not easy. It's not easy. And it doesn't mean that every day I'm happy all the time. It just means that Like I said in our staff meeting, if I have to go to work, this is where I want to be, right? So if you have to go to school, where do you want to be? I said to students the other day after the break, I'm like, well, unless you have literally an abundance of money, what what else are you going to do all day? And the kids are like, no, it's you're right. Like I'm happy to be here. It's great. Like you know. So I think you know. I think all those things are key to well being. I don't know if I actually answered the question, but no, no, for sure. Which actually leads me into where as we come sort of towards the end of, of the conversation, it just leads me into if you could talk a little bit about the importance of knowing or, or having our children or even adults, I guess, know what our signature character strengths are. Yeah, so I would highly suggest the best book on this in terms of parenting through a strength based approach would be Lee Waters book called The Strength Switch which is a fantastic book that really does look at character strengths and how we can use character strengths to enhance our ability, not only our ability, but our children's abilities, our family's abilities to use what are our strengths, because we all have unique strengths. You know, scientists have identified 24 different strengths that are the basic building blocks that define our individuality psychologically speaking, and all of us have one or two that are our top character strengths, right? And those will change over the course of time. But these strengths are universally valued based on research, and collectively, they are responsible for our greatest achievements and fulfillment. Because so often, as we've mentioned many times in this podcast, we are so critical of ourselves, and we're always looking at what we can improve, rather than leveraging what we do well already and how can we use those strengths. So for example, creativity is one of the strengths. So for some people, if that is their signature strength, and teachers do this quite well in terms of understanding students' learning profiles, but it's important that individuals understand if creativity is really their signature strength, it's how can they use that creativity in all aspects of obstacles to be able to problem solve in a creative way or to be able to to work with that creativity. And I would say as parents, And I can speak for myself, understanding and looking at what my own children's strengths are and being able to leverage those when they are faced with obstacles and saying, you know, you are, you have a real sense of love for learning, let's say, is one of the other ones, right? You love to learn, but right now you're struggling with this concept. So how can we use that love of learning? How can we use the tools at your disposal to go and find out the answers to that? And so why do character strengths matter? They really matter when things are going well. We can use those character strengths to see what is best in ourselves and to have that self-compassion, as we spoke about before, and to feel good about ourselves. But when things are going poorly, we can use those character strengths to give balance, 
to those struggles that we face and to reshift our focus from negative to positive and to, to really start becoming when we to avoid being self-critical of ourselves. But it does help the strengths help us to refocus our perspective and to notice the good things around us and in other people. So one of the activities, too, that we often do is being able to not only name and notice our own, but be able to name and notice in others. So if you know, especially your peers, that someone, you know, is very empathetic or very curious, how can you use or inquisitive, right? But you're not. How can you work together to be able to to do something? So being able to notice your own strengths, but those of others is important as well. And again, I highly suggest the book if people are looking for a reading about how to apply that. And then the other one for character strengths would be, there's a great website, VIA Institute on Character, and it's a free questionnaire. You can go on and complete that and figure out, or based on that, we'll tell you what your top strengths are and also give you some strategies on how you can use those. Very cool. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, on that note, maybe I'll just ask you to share one or two exercises that you've done with students or colleagues in workshops. So maybe we can leave our listeners with something positive to think about and start sort of shifting that mindset for the new year into thinking a little bit differently. So are there any exercises that you could just throw out that we could leave people with? My very favorite one that we've done with faculty and staff here that have caused the most like, oh, I can't do this. So I I encourage you all to do it. Hey, it's I can't yet. It's I can't yet. That one too as well. But you draw a hand, trace your hand on, on each finger, you write down a positive trait about yourself. So being able to identify five positive traits about yourself and putting people on the spot to do that, they find it very difficult to come up with five positive traits. So that would be my one to try. And you, Jillian, what's another one? You can also try asking people to come up with three things that they feel that they've overcome. That's a a good one. And uh, another one that I think is very popular, I don't know how much people do it. You often get some eye rolling from students, but five things that they're grateful for. And they actually say that if you write down what you're grateful for, like every night, you inevitably will change your mindset and feel better about your life. Well, on that note, I think we can't get more positive here. So (laughs) is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we say farewell? No, I would just encourage people. I think, again, Jill and I have said it, it's not about being happy all the time and positive all the time and ignoring the obstacles. So I don't want people to leave thinking like, that we're avoiding difficult situations. It's actually about facing those difficult situations with strategies to be able to overcome or work through them. So that's really what positive education is looking at and working, taking those character traits and character strengths that have been worked on through social emotional learning and then applying them in all aspects of life to be able to flourish and thrive on a daily basis. Oh, that's great. Well, I wanted to thank you both very much for being here. You've overcome the challenge of the fear that you had at the beginning, hopefully. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to wearelcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.